Welcome to the Wilds Cast. Today's guest is Rabbi Jacob Schachter. He holds a PhD in Near Eastern languages from Harvard and received rabbinic ordination from Yeshiva Torah Vodas. He is a scholar extraordinaire. He's authored dozens of important scholarly articles and books that have become the mainstay of modern Orthodox thought. And he lectures worldwide to sell out crowds wherever he speaks. He is senior scholar and university professor at Yeshiva University Center for the Jewish Future. We give you Rabbi Jacob Schachter. Okay, we are live. I am incredibly excited uh, for my special, special guest today. Welcome to the Wilds Cast. This is MJE's podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, this is the third, um, and as we say in Hebrew, Malin B'Kodesh, we always go up in sanctity. This is the third great rabbinic figure that I'm having the honor of. I can only of. imagine who it's going to be after me, so uh, you're throwing <laughs> me under the bus a little bit, but that's okay. <laughs> exactly. So Rabbi Dr. Jacob, uh, Jacob Schachter, who I'm honored and humbled uh, to call my mentor, and my teacher has agreed to be interviewed today. Uh, he is arguably the most important scholar and spokesperson for modern orthodoxy today. I know that sounds like a very dramatic statement, but it's it's 100% uh, the truth. He holds a PhD in Near Eastern languages from Harvard. He got his rabbinic ordination from Torah Vadas. And those of you unfamiliar with um, my teacher, my Rebbe, and a teacher to so many rabbis uh, in the United States and beyond, uh, he's worn a number of different hats uh, during his incredible rabbinate. Uh, he first was the rabbi of the Young Israel of Sharon, Massachusetts, in Sharon, Massachusetts, and then he served for the next 19 years as the rabbi of the Jewish Center, where MJ has been based for the last 23 years. Uh, the reason MJE is at the Jewish Center, the reason MJE exists, is because Rabbi Shachter graciously invited us in. And I will never forget that day, Rabbi, when you called me, asking if I would teach a basic Judaism class. Uh, to some of the less affiliated uh, Jewish men and women um, in New York City. And it was through that class that I met my wife. Uh, it was through that class that ultimately developed MJE with thousands of lives impacted. And none of this would have happened or been sustained all these years without your constant encouragement, love, and guidance. Uh, the other hat that Rabbi Shachter wears is that of scholar extraordinaire. He has authored dozens of important scholarly articles and books that have become the mainstay of modern Orthodox thought. He lectures worldwide to sell out crowds wherever he speaks. He is a senior scholar and university professor at Yeshiva University Center for the Jewish Future. I have endless gratitude uh, to you, Rabbi Shachter, and so thrilled that you came on as our guest this afternoon. Welcome. Thank you so much, Rabbi Wilds. If I could take a moment, I would like to say that the reason why I accepted your invitation, and I guess we'll get to whatever it is that you want to ask me in a moment, is out of a deep regard and respect for you personally. Uh, we go back a very long time, and uh, I did give you uh, that call way back when, uh, because I knew that you could do it. I knew what you had. Uh, you had a career, but you were interested in throwing yourself wholeheartedly into the work on behalf of the Jewish community. I knew you would connect with whoever you come into contact. 
And I want to tell your uh, audience that uh, there's a rabbinic statement that says that uh, a great rabbi is uh, responsible for requiring wealthy people to step up. And another great rabbi is responsible for uh, getting uh, poor people to step up. Uh, the power of an individual. Uh, when we look at each one of those individuals, we see what they accomplished. Uh, we see that they have uh, an obligation, or we have an obligation to follow in their footsteps. Um, we often ask ourselves, uh, and I'm sure all those listening to this podcast, what difference can I really make? You know, I'm one person, I'm one woman, I'm one man, I'm only one person. Can I really make a difference? And I'm trying to do my best. And whenever I'm asked that question, Rabbi Wilds, I say, look at Mark Wilds. Look at what one person can do. A revolution. Rabbi Wilds, you have wrought a revolution in terms of understanding and appreciating what it means to connect to people today, not just young people, to people today at the highest level thousands and thousands and thousands repeatedly. And, and you inspire me. Sometimes I, I run out of steam and I say, oh my God, look, look what Mark's doing. Look what he's doing. So I'm here as an expression of my regard and respect for you and my affection for you. And I want to be the one or one of the ones on this podcast before we even start to let your audience know how incredibly blessed they are to have you as their mentor and teacher. And that God should give you, Rabbi Wilds, years, you and Jill, years of good health to continue your incredible work. It's an honor, a personal honor and privilege to be able to partner with you in any way possible. Oh, thank you, Rabbi. Um, I, think, I think we're done. <laughs> oh my god i really i'm just kidding um uh, i really really appreciate that that means the world to me um i'm humbled and embarrassed i, I really appreciate it thank you um all right rabbi let's get into you now let's get um, into it right so now it's downhill now it's yeah, downhill so, from there <laughs> uh, let's start with a personal what, what inspired you personally to enter the rabbinate um, yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. I think about it a lot, and I'm glad that I have an opportunity to revisit it, because sometimes once we get into a, uh, uh, an approach and, and uh, we get into the swing of things, we don't really stop and go back and remember from the very beginning. And uh, I, I want to say, and I'm going to say this often, I think the purpose of this podcast, at least from my perspective, is not so much to talk about myself because you know that's either or either is or isn't interesting. But to what extent my experiences could be a springboard for your audience to be self-reflective and think about themselves. So, so this gives us all, all of you who are listening, an opportunity to, so what motivates you? What motivates you to do what you want? So in my case, uh, I would start with my parental home, with my parents. So I'm sure a lot of things start with parents. Um, my father was an extremely uh, prominent uh, rabbi. And uh, I saw the kind of work that he was doing. Uh, in a way, it was problematic for me because he was very busy and he was out of the house a lot. Um, so there was a, we paid a price uh, for that. But I, I think at the end of the day, we were, my sister and I, inspired by the level of involvement uh, on his part 
both in personal lives and in communal life. And, uh, and I think that was something that I internalized uh, very early on and that I wanted to do uh, somehow uh, my share and find my way different than the way he did it, but to find my way. And, and I also want to mention uh, someone who had a very profound uh, influence on me when I was growing older and I was really at the cusp of trying to make a decision. And that is uh, Rabbi Shlomo Riskin who was the former rabbi at Lincoln Square, founding rabbi of Lincoln Square Synagogue, moved to Israel. Uh, thank God he, he's still around. Um, he was a real hero for me. And when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, he was burning up uh, New York jewelry, young man, charismatic, well-spoken. And I wanted to be like Rabbi Riskin. And uh, I had a warm, close relationship with him. Uh, my father had a very strong influence on him. Uh, to choose the rabbinate. And uh, I remember him from my early, when I was 12, 13, he used to come around our house. Uh, and I followed him and I was mesmerized by him. I wanted to be him. So between my father as a larger figure and then the specific figure of Rabbi Riskin and God should give him strength and, and good health, um, he was my hero. And I would invite your audience to uh, ask themselves, so who's my hero? And I want to say one more thing, and that is, you know what? Once you find out who that person is, tell them. Tell them. I've had the opportunity more than once to tell Rabbi Riskin about the impact that he had on my life. And it means something. Let me tell you something. Sometimes people say it to me, you know, the three and a half quarter people who said it to me, it matters. Yeah, well, you, know, yeah. you're, you're... you tell them. You're speaking. You're speaking to one of them, and I, I do consider myself very blessed, as you are, Rabbi, that you've had your father, Rabbi Riskin, and other people to, you know, who set a very high bar. Yeah, um, and inspired, and really inspired. I think that's the word. The word is inspired because to do the work that we do, Rabbi Wilds, we need to be inspired. Right. To do meaningful work, we need to be inspired. Uh, you know, we all have our professions and we should have our professions and we need to be good at them and we need to be adept at them and we need to be professional. But I'm talking about inspiration. I'm talking about that extra spark beyond the, the nitty gritty of our daily professional lives, our, our spirit, uh, our, our spirituality, our godliness, our, our connection to the divine, our understanding that the world really matters and I have a role to play and I could make a difference you know, who, who inspires us? And, and I'm sure there are hundreds and thousands of people who would put Rabbi Mark Wilds at the top of their list. Well, Rabbi, you mentioned your father. Um, so just a few months ago, this incredible book was published about Rabbi Herschel Schachter. Uh, Schachter, excuse me, Zich, uh, Zichron Levracha. It's called The Rabbi of Buchenwald. And as you know, the book describes your father's key role in the liberation of Buchenwald and his work as a communal leader thereafter. He was a distinguished rabbi in the Bronx. You mentioned he was a major player in the Soviet Jewry movement, chairman of the Conference of Presidents. He was a rabbi's rabbi, from what I'm told. What made your father so special? And, and how was that a, 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 as an impact on you? I mean, you just mentioned that, you know, he inspired you to go into the rabbinate um, initially. Uh, anything else about his life that you've carried with you all of these years? Um, so there are two questions. Number one is what made him him? And number two is what did I take from him? What made him him? It's really hard for me to know. 
um, uh, he was the youngest of 10 children. His uh, parents were immigrants. His father came to the United States in 1907. My father was born in 1917. He died in 2013. He lived till the age of 95. Um, he was the youngest of 10 children, and uh, he grew up in uh, Brownsville, Brooklyn, uh, trying to make a name for himself. Uh, and, and I don't know how it happened, but he developed a reputation and a capacity very early on uh, to be a formidable orator. I'm going to say something that your audience is absolutely not going to believe, uh, and I don't blame them because I didn't believe it myself. And that is my father told me when I was young that when he was seven, eight, or nine, and you're not going to believe me either. They would take him to a wedding and pick him up and put him on a chair under the chuppah, and he would be asked to address the bride and groom. Could you imagine? <laughs> Let me tell you about life and about relationships and about what it means to live meaningfully. This little pisher kid <laughs> who had to stand on a chair to look into the belly button of the, of the groom was giving speeches under the chuppah. I didn't believe it. I said, come on, you got to be kidding until I actually, a number of years ago, met a woman who told me that my father did it at her wedding. And then oh I just had to oh like bang and, and beg my father for forgiveness for not believing him. So I think what, what launched him was this self-possessed capacity to be able to speak and mm -hmm. to be appreciated for his power of, of speech and uh, that's what made him uh, who he was, uh, besides all of the experiences that he had. He had moxie. He had a sense of self. He was strong-minded. And uh, he uh, was able to accomplish. He was the first American Jewish chaplain to uh, enter into concentration camps. Uh, after uh, the end of the Second World War, he was in the army. He volunteered to fight, went in against the wishes of his uh, parents, felt that this was really important to fight for America, for American democracy, and to help Jews. There were two issues. It wasn't just to help Jews, but he was a staunch American patriot and uh, had a major contribution. When he died in March of 2013, his obituary was on the front page of the New York Times. And what got him there, and the title was, Jews, You Are Free. That's what he shouted out when he got into Buchenwald, into the concentration camp. That's what merited him. Uh, front page, obituary, New York Times, and launched him for a career of involvement with the Jewish community. Wow. As far as I'm concerned, it was actually complicated because it cut both ways. Number one, my father, as I mentioned, was very busy. I don't remember going to sleep when I was a kid, except for Shabbat, that my father was home. He was running around, he was busy, he was at meetings, he was traveling. And that was hard for me. It was really hard for me. Uh, mm -hmm. The second thing that was hard for me was, uh, and here again, I invite your uh, audience to think about it, and I invite you to think about it. You know, you have a great father, and uh, I had a great father. And, and w where is there room for me? Right. You know, my father right. occupied so much space. He was so prominent. He did what he did, like your father, Zolgesundsein, uh, you know, such an illustrious career. And, 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 and now you want to become a lawyer, but wait a minute, is there, were, is there, is there room in, in the world of lawyerhood for, for Mark? You know, yeah. is, is JJ gonna, you know, my father was this larger than life figure. 
So I had to carve out a place for myself. And I decided that I'm not going to be uh, involved with communal life. I'm not going to become the president of this and the chairman of that and the president of that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to devote my life more to uh, creating a space for myself in the academic world and the Torah scholarship world, mm -hmm. which was not occupied by my father. So we're both rabbis, right. but we're rabbis in we're rabbis in different ways. So uh, his uh, having been a rabbi and being what he uh, what he was had an impact on me, both in what I wanted to be and both in what I did not uh, right. want to be. And, and and did that? Thank you. Did that in in any way impact? I remember this is when I was in Smicha rabbinical school in YU, and I remember you coming in and giving this passionate talk, which I think you continue to give students about rabbis balancing their personal lives, their yeah. family lives with communal life, you know, and, yeah, and it stuck I, with, it stuck with me. I, I mean, I quote yeah. you to this day when I, cause I've been, I'm teaching in, in Smith and YU and I, I've been sharing this and I share it in your name. So, I mean, did that come out of your yeah, own personal yeah, experience? I, I am, as my students know, uh, I'm a maniac for family. And I, and I use that word advisedly. I'm a maniac. Because rabbis can spend a lot of time worrying about somebody else's kids, and they don't spend enough time worrying about their own kids. And uh, rabbis' children did not ask to be brought into this world. And so therefore, the rabbi is the only father that they have, and that father has a responsibility for them. And I think what really drove this was because I felt that I didn't have that. I felt that mm -hmm. I was missing that when I was growing up, and I said, I'm going to be a different kind of a father who will be devoted, uh, not just a lip service, but actually on the ground. Um, my my wife uh, continues to be, a, a, till today, she's a very prominent psychoanalyst and she has a very busy private practice. And uh, all the years that I was a rabbi, she was very busy. And I uh, tried to make it my business to be home when my kids came home from school and give them chocolate milk and, and take them for a walk and mm -hmm. find out about how their day was and then take their knapsack off their backs. And uh, th th this to me is crucially important. And I try as much as I can to share that. And I'm now speaking to your audience. You're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're a professional, you're running around, you're building your portfolio. That's great. Thank God. May it grow and prosper. Be there for your kids. Be there for them. Can't be there all the time every day when they come home from school. But make it your business to devote significant energies to your, you brought them into this world. You have an obligation to them. They don't have anybody yeah. else but you. Yeah. I don't care what your profession is. You got to be there it, for your kids. It, it's, it's such a powerful message. Thank you. You know, it's, it's also um, one of the great selling points. Uh, about Shabbos, <laughs> that um, uh, one one thing that you know someone who is not raised in observance of Shabbat that gets when they start keeping Shabbat is when they get married and please God have children. Um, there's just this fixed time, you know, to be you know, and and most much of the Jewish community doesn't have that. Maybe they get it. Maybe they get a Friday yeah. night dinner, possibly. Right. I want to switch gears a little, you know. And I'm sure this is connected a little, but in the introduction, I mentioned how you rolled out the red carpet for MGE at the Jewish Center, and you just have continued to help me build this organization and this community over 20 years now. What is it about Jewish outreach 
that is so important to you? I'm very worried about the contemporary American Jewish community. I'm worried about the contemporary American Jewish community for two reasons, one less and one more. The less one is anti-Semitism. Uh, I'm worried about anti-Semitism. I think all of us need to be concerned about it. Um, Barry Weiss and uh, Dara Horn just recently published a book. Uh, this is a big issue. And uh, every day something else happens and uh, needs to be on our radar screen. And we need to do something about it to the extent to which we can. But I'm more worried, not about the external threat, but about the internal threat. I'm more worried about the assimilation. I'm more worried about Jews just simply drifting off. There are more Jews in America who don't identify with any religious denomination, who don't identify with any kind of a spiritual life than those who do. And uh, I'm, I don't see a future. I think we're just spiraling into oblivion and it scares me. Um, you know, thank God America is, is a democracy and thank God America is a free country and thank God we have choices and we, we're not forced to do anything. And that's a blessing, but it's also a challenge because people are voting with their feet and their feet are bringing them to places outside of commitment to Jewish life at any level, at any level. And so I'm really worried. And therefore, I think that anyone who can make a difference and try to get Jews to be more Jewish and be more Jewish better. And I don't care how you want to define what that is, but you start with a Jewish identity. You start with a Friday night meal. You start with, let me talk to you about the Jewish community. You start with engaging with the, your local federation. You start with APAC. You start with ways how to identify as a Jew. That to me is absolutely critically important. What's going to happen to the next generation? What's going to happen to the third generation? And therefore outreach is important. And therefore, Rabbi Wilds, you occupy such an incredibly central place in this effort because you don't compromise on the world. You don't compromise on the value of the world. You're not telling people who flock to you you know what, turn your back on that and just jump in, deep dive. And you know, this is what really what's important. And the only thing that's important, you acknowledge the values of contemporary culture and contemporary America. And you need to, you need to have a uh, uh, money and you need to be able to have a portfolio and you need to be able to have love and, and, and joy and go to, go to a concert. That, that, that's important. But wait a minute. No, just look at you. You know, you're a modern guy. I wish I had the hair that you, I mean, it was unbelievable. It's amazing. You're such a handsome guy. And, and, and you, you're rooted in the culture and you preach and you teach and you model more than anything. So, so, so traditional, let me finish. What traditional Jewish yeah. life can do to enhance all of that. And it's crucially important. I, I listen. I I so appreciate that, and you obviously are tr see a tremendous role for modern Orthodox Jews in the outreach initiative, Very the outreach so. effort. So, what, what? Let me ask you this, and I don't want to over exaggerate the problem, but it is an issue in my mind. <clears throat> Why do you think not enough of us in our community, the Shiva University, modern Orthodox, believe in embracing the modern culture and Torah, Torah Mad? I'm going to come back to that soon. Why do you think not enough of us are engaged in this battle and, and, and more of our, let's call them more to the right, brothers and sisters in the yeshiva shavelt 
are, are more engaged, at least statistically, in this kind of effort. So first of all, I have tremendous respect for, for the people to, uh, to our right. The, the world of the yeshiva is, is breathtaking and it is incredible. Um, I spent formidable years of my own uh, upbringing uh, in the yeshiva world, uh, both in uh, the United States and in Israel, and I have uh, incredible respect for the work that they do. And I'm very grateful for the fact that they are very much uh, involved in their own uh, service of God, in their own study of Torah, and also caring about others. Um, I think part of the reason why uh, we aren't uh, as much, we modern Orthodox are not as much involved as perhaps, uh, or for sure that we should be, um, is uh, I think that we're somewhat enamored with uh, the culture around us, and we don't really feel that much of a sense of responsibility. Uh, and I say that sadly. First of all, I'm not sure what enough, you know, if there were a hundred more, I'm not sure that would be enough. I don't know how you define, you know, there aren't yeah. enough of us. Uh, there are never enough of us and there aren't enough of people to the, to the right of us. Um, but I think that um, on, one, on one level, uh, people get caught up in their own lives and um, that occupies the, of the full, uh, a lot of their attention. And when they're not working, they're spending time with family, please God, or, or relaxing. And I also would say, uh, thanks to you and others, there are more and more people within the modern Orthodox community that are, in fact are making this a priority mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. are inviting people to their homes for Shabbat. You know, not everybody's a Mark Wilds, not everybody starts an organization that has thousands and thousands of followers. But, uh, you know, this one here and this one here and that one there, and there are add up to a lot of people mm-hmm. who, who do uh, consider this to be something that is that is important. And thanks to you, that number is growing because you've been successful, not only with the people that you touch, but with, even within the modern Orthodox community for making this a priority. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you're teaching at Yeshiva University. Now, there are students of yours who are now going to leave your class and going to make this an important component of their Jewish lives, whether they go professionally into the Jewish community or not. So I, I appreciate that, and, and and I think that's one hundred percent true. And by the way, you quoted Rabbi Riskin before as a as a great model for you. And Rabbi Riskin famously remarked, "For the price of a chicken, you can save a Jew." And I've said this for years. Uh, and I remember when I first came to the Jewish Center, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just reiterating the point that you don't have to start an organization to make a difference in outreach. You just need to invite somebody to your Shabbos table. Right. Uh, and I remember c- coming to you, Rabbi when uh, back in 1998 and asking you, can you give me some suggestions of families in the neighborhood, in the community, the Jewish center and the West side in general. And uh, you should just know uh, there are about 20 to 25 families still involved in hosting. You know, took a little hiatus during COVID, but still involved in hosting MG ears at the Shabbat table. The same names that you gave me, 2025. 20, That's uh, amazing. Right, They're so good people. They're so, good people. Right. And I would so tell anyway, your audience, you, yeah. you host. You don't have to be Mark Wilds. Host. I'm telling you, I don't know any of you, probably. Uh, but I, I, I'm telling you for sure that I, what I do know is that you have relatives and you have neighbors and you have business associates who uh, haven't uh, reached the level of appreciation of commitment in Jewish life. Where, wherever you may be on the spectrum, they're not where you are yet. And, and yeah. you, you have a position, you have a, an ability to just talk to them, explain to them, why does this matter to you? 
you know, if Rabbi Wilds comes, he's a rabbi, he's a fancy guy, he's a big Talmud Chacham, he's a rabbinic scholar. You know, so of course he's going to say Judaism is important. But, but you tell him Judaism is important. And why is it important to you? People will resonate with the personal story. Matters to you. Let me tell you why my life is enhanced by this. Let me tell you what this does for me personally. And then come along for the ride. Try it out. Try it out. Here's a piece of chicken. Let's hang <laughs> together. Let's, let's, let's talk. That's what it's all about. All of That's you should it's do about. It's a revolution. It's going to be a revolution. Yeah. Just to switch gears a little, this is incredible. Thank you. There are two rabbis I want to discuss with you. First is the great German scholar of Jakob Emden, and the next one is the Rav of Salvechik. Just um, for the last 40 years, you have, is this correct, Rabbi? More. <laughs> I hate to say it. <laughs> you have continued to research this great rabbinic figure. You wrote your dissertation, Harvard for him, on him. Now you're coming out with a book. I don't know if it's fair to call it an obsession, but what is it about Rav Yaakov Emden that you're so drawn to? Yeah, right. So first of all, uh, Rabbi Jacob Emden uh, lived in Germany in the uh, 18th century and uh, was one of the great uh, formidable prominent rabbis, although he did not occupy a formal rabbinic position. He was only a formal pulpit rabbi or communal rabbi for four years uh, in his 30s. And then... Uh, played a significant role in, in, in Jewish life and in, in Jewish learning. Uh, he died in 1776. Um, and uh, I am trying to make him uh, more well-known uh, than he is in the broader community. Um, so uh, without getting into all the details of his life, my dissertation, Rabbi Wilds, is 786 pages long. So we'll take a while. We asked everybody to read it in anticipation. Yes, I, undoubtedly, that was the price of admission to this uh, podcast <laughs> is you have to prove that you read it. Yeah. So uh, you're not going to read it, and that's fine. That's fine. I'll get over it. Uh, but I'll tell you a couple of things about, about this. Uh, first of all, he was a genius. He was a genius in the sense that he uh, wrote commentaries on virtually every single genre of uh, Jewish intellectual life. He has a commentary on the Bible. He has a commentary on the Talmud. He has a commentary on the Mishnah, which is the earlier strata, strata of the Talmud. He has a commentary on the prayer book. Um, he has uh, essays that he wrote. He has response to literature in the hundreds. Um, he has a book about uh, Jewish mysticism. He, he, he's covered all the bases, and he's quoted widely. And uh, there isn't a single area of intellectual Jewish uh, life that he's not totally familiar with and hasn't contributed to. So that uh, attracted me. You know, <laughs> he's sitting in the 18th century, he knows everything, he reads everything, and he comments on everything. And he writes, he published a 36 book. He had a, a, a publishing company in his basement uh, and he churned them out, churned out stuff. It, amazing, amazing. Uh, a lot of things... Uh, uh, he uh, published by himself, and uh, some the earliest book he published elsewhere. But he he he's a, a mesmerizing figure, and to study his his output is is very uh, intellectually stimulating. He also straddled the two worlds because he was uh, was very widely read. He was insatiably curious, and he writes about his curiosity. Uh, he quotes um, Confucius. He quotes Aristotle. Uh, he uh, quotes books uh, in German. Uh, he talks about the founding of America. 
Uh, he, uh, he, he knows uh, widely what's going on in the world around him. He talks about India. Uh, he talks about the end of the earth. He's very much involved and interested in, uh, in culture and uh, very, uh, very uh, significantly um, invested in trying to bring together these two worlds. Although a major part of my uh, dissertation is to show that he really ended up living in, in the Middle Ages, not in modern times. Mm -hmm. um, he had a correspondence with Moses Mendelssohn, who was arguably the most famous early modern Jew, who made the transition from medieval to modern, but he was really still living in the medieval and, and not in the modern. But I think at the end of the day, perhaps what, what uh, struck me most, and this is the focus of my, uh, my, current, uh, my current work, is uh, he was very self-revelatory. He wrote an autobiography. I'm now putting out a new edition of his autobiography. Oh. Um, and uh, it's very self-revelatory. He really opens himself up and talks about his personal life, his challenges. He talks about his, his physical body. He talks about his desires, talks about his frustrations. He talks about his illnesses. Um, it's a remarkable, remarkable a self-revelatory document to the point that a couple of years ago, somebody wrote an entire volume arguing that it's gotta be a forgery. I mean, it's impossible that a great rabbi could have written the kinds of things that he wrote about himself. Mm -hmm which is ridiculous, he, he wrote it. And, and that to me, that to me is really important. To me, it's important to have as a role model someone who is not uh, absolutely all worked out, who's not perfectly perfect, who's struggling, who's struggling with all kinds of challenges, personal challenges, family challenges. Do you know that Rabbi Jacob Enden had, you probably don't, had 20 children. He was married three times, three wives, 20 I no children. I, I knew he was married more than once. I knew he had a lot of kids, but 20. Twen and listen to this. 16 of his 20 children died in his lifetime. Could you imagine? God forbid, when he died, there were four of his 20 children alive. who were still alive. He had challenges. Some of them died when they were very young infants. Some of them died in their 40s in his lifetime. And he's struggling. How old was Rev. Emden when he passed? We're not sure exactly when he, it's probably, uh, he died uh, 1776. He was probably born 1698. So we're looking uh -huh. in his uh -huh. late 70s. Right. To me, we need role models of great people who, whose greatness does not come easily. Th that's the point that I'm trying. Why am I knocking myself out to publish this autobiography? Because I want to provide a role model of somebody who struggled, but was able to overcome struggle. Well, that's, that's, that's instructive we, to us. That's what we, can, we do. We, we can do something with that. We can, yeah. Right. We struggle and we think, oh God, you know, I give up, I'm, you know, it's hard, you know, you slog through, it's, I've been dealt a deck that's complicated. You know what? Take a look at Rabbi Jacob Emden. He had to bury 16 children. Take a look at Rabbi Jacob Emden. He was ill. He had depressions. He writes about his depressions. And you know what? You could fill a library with what he wrote. <laughs> you know what? You could also stick one foot in front of another and really make a difference. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, with all of his genius and with all of his intellectual scope, it's the 
it's the struggle of a human being that I think attracted me to him the mm -hmm. most. And I would just add uh, that my name is, is his name. I am uh, Yaakov, the son of Rabbi Tzvi. He is Yaakov, the son of Rabbi Tzvi. So who knows? I don't know what that means, you know, in the holy, uh, in the holy worlds <laughs> up there. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't take it uh, for granted. And uh, maybe well, there is something. Some it, it's, it's something I, you know, for those uh, listening, I've had the honor of attending probably 17 or 18 of your Yarche Kalas, Rabbi. These are three-day conferences that Rabbi Shachter has held for uh, for rabbis uh, throughout the United States. And um, if there's one thing that comes through all of your teaching is this honesty, and you can do it too, um, because it's wonderful for us to hear about these, you know, Gaonim, these geniuses. But if I'm never going to be able to aspire, but to hear 16, you know, to hear that, you know, none of us is happy about this, obviously, but to hear that he can publish 35 books of that level of scholarship. I'm also wondering, you know, and, and uh, uh, you know, and, 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 um, and had real issues, had real life problems. I mean, that's, that's, that's inspirational for us. Yeah. I mean, did you, I was going to ask this later, but how are you able to do it? I mean, I, I remember walking into your office numerous times at the Jewish Center and I couldn't find you because there were piles and piles of paper and books and, and file cabinets and, and you're running a shul and you're a very hands-on rabbi involved in the lives of so many of your beloved congregants who still, I'm here, you know, I'm still here. So your name reverberates throughout this institution and this building. How do you manage to knock out article and book after book while yeah. continuing to be such a people rabbi at the same time? Yeah, that's very sweet of you. And that's a really a good question. Um, here, I don't know what wisdom I could share with, uh, with the uh, beloved sweet people who are uh, either watching or will watch this. Um, I consider myself blessed in that I'm very disciplined. Um, I, I, you know, I'll give you a, uh, an analogy. You know, some people sit down uh, to write something. So they have to sit down and then they have to like, you know, get themselves, you know, in the chair and get organized. And then, then they got to take the, the pencil and now I'm dating myself and they have to <laughs> sharpen the pencil. You know, they got to stick it in the sharpener and then got to take out the piece of paper. None of this is relevant today. Your audience probably doesn't even know what I'm talking about. They probably never saw a pencil. Um, and, and, you know, till, till you get geared up, it's an hour. Then you got to go get coffee. <laughs> uh, but somehow God gave me a gift that I could sit down and within 10 seconds, I'm off and running. Um, and and it, it, it's nothing that I did. It's, it's nothing that I get credit for. But, but somehow it's, it's a matter of discipline. And I could therefore jump from this to this to this to this. And I don't need lead time and I don't need to work into it. I'm, I'm, I'm holding. I'm in it. And, uh, and, and, and do, I, do you shut I, off? Do you, sh you shut off your phone? You block out everything else? I, I, I don't shut. Well, well, now it's easier. In the days when I was a pulpit rabbi, I could never shut off my phone right. because God forbid somebody might need me. And, uh, you know, any, any pulpit rabbi knows that they never know what the day is going to bring because uh, all kinds of, you know, illnesses and God forbid death and challenges and sadnesses and, and happy things, you know, you're often running in a second, uh, dropping everything to go. Uh, but, I, but I was able to carve out time. And I'm not sure why. I'm not sure why I was able to do that. And I continue to try to do that. Well, I think you just, I mean, I don't mean to answer for you, but you just... You just described your namesake, Rav Emden, who, um, you know, had this kind yeah. of, you know, 
not a simple life and yet was able to somehow do it. Right. You know, right. Um, he was a businessman. He writes in this autobiography, you know, he's selling real estate. He's, he's trying to make money, he's in business. He sends money to Amsterdam to buy goods. You know, it, it's a matter of, of discipline and it's a matter, and it's a matter of, of, uh, of focus and to try to, and, and I consciously devote an enormous amount of my time to try to engage with people. You know, I'm already, uh, you know, there's an expression uh, in English, I'm on the back nine. Uh, and anybody who plays golf knows what I'm talking about. And I don't play golf and I still know what I'm talking about. But I'm already at the, you know, I'm closer than further uh, from the end. And, uh, and I think back, and maybe this is something that your audience can think about. And maybe you too. You know, after 120, you know, in our tradition, we say, you know, 120 so, so what do I want to be remembered for? What, what, how, how am I going to organize my life now so that after 120, I will be remembered in the way that I want to be remembered? And, uh, and at the end of the day, I want to be remembered as someone who helped people. You know, my articles and my books, and I put a ton of time. I want to be remembered as somebody who helped people. And primarily, I want to be remembered as a father and as a grandfather, as a husband, <laughs> I want to be remembered by my family. You know, at the end of the day, Mark, when, when, when they're putting us in the ground, I hate to be morbid, but who's around us? Who, who's, yeah. who's standing around? Yeah. It's our kids. Mir Hashem, please God, we should have children. Our kids are going to be there. And when they're shoveling us in, I don't want them to say, oh, what a lousy hilarious. What a, you know, oh, God, you know, I want them to be sad. I want them to tuck us in because they loved us. And they remember the, 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 the caresses and the hugs that we gave them. And I think about this consciously. I thought about this always. You know, I'm a maniac for family because I owe it to my kids. And that's how I want to be remembered. I want my grandchildren to say, Zadie, Zadie was wonderful. Zadie learned with me. Zadie brought me for ice cream. Zadie took care of me. That's what I want. And, and I could write 20 more articles. But, but you know what? I'm writing enough. I want to help people. I want people to care about me. I want to care about people. And, and, and I'm asking your audience to think about this. They're young. You know, you're a young guy. You're not in the back nine, Bar Hashem. You're in the front nine. And your audience for sure is in the front nine. But it's never too early to think about. It's not a morbid thing. It's a way to make my life meaningful. I want my life to be meaningful. And maybe one of the ways to ask that question is, how do I want to be remembered? And what virtues do I want to be known for? And don't wait till you're my age to start reorienting. Start now. Make a difference now. And caring for people is crucial. Being involved with Judaism is crucial. Crucial. That's what makes life meaningful. You want a meaningful life. Live a meaningful life. Mm -hmm. Start now. Don't wait till you're my age. Wow. Thank you. And and coming from someone who values scholarship so much to hear yeah, how I important I know you do, you're, you've devoted your life and, 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 and yet you see the time spent with family, with friends, with students as really, you know, I, I was thinking about Rabbi, um, brought a group to Poland uh, concentration camps years ago and we went to visit the um, cemetery in Warsaw and we were given time to visit one grave so we went to see the grave of Chaim Salvechik 
which is a good way to segue to the next question. Um, and uh, you know this, I think you actually had a photocopy of it in one of the uh, packets for our Yorkekalas. What does it say on top of his tombstone? It says Rav yeah. Chesed, the Rav Rabbi Chesed. of Kindness. Right. The Rabbi of yeah. Kindness. And you think of Rav Chaim, you think of this intellectual giant. Right. Yeah, your who, audience and, uh, should know that he was one of the most intellectual geniuses uh, who graced Jewish life, certainly in the last couple of hundred years. He revolutionized the methodology of Talmud study. And uh, at the end of the day on his tombstone, is, uh, is, he was a man of kindness. Uh, the story is told that people used to drop babies who were born out of wedlock at his doorstep. Uh, and, and he cared for them. And he could have studied Talmud more. But that's what we need to do in whatever we do, whatever professions we have. Take care of the babies. Take care of our own babies. I want to share with you a thought, a, a Torah thought, if I may. I know you want please. to talk about Rabbi Joseph. No, 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 please, please. I'm happy. And, I, and, and, and I, this is something that re resonates with me. Um, you know, thank God I've had an opportunity to share a lot, of, a lot of Torah, and please God will continue. But there are some certain aspect, pieces of Torah, thoughts of Torah that stand out, and something that I've been thinking a lot about lately. Um, in the morning, when we get up in the morning, there's a very traditional paragraph that we recite. You know, Rabbi Watts, for all I know, you may have heard this from me. Uh, I hope it's uh, not uh, old hat for you. And if it is, uh, so you'll bear with me and you'll smile and you'll uh, hopefully say it means something. Um, so traditionally, there's, uh, we recite a few lines as soon as we open up our eyes in the morning. Uh, before we get out of bed, maybe right after we get out of bed, before we even go to pray, before we even uh, get dressed, uh, and uh, I'll say it and I'll translate We express our gratitude to to you before you in your presence, uh, you know, Almighty God. You returned my soul to me after I was sleeping. I was sort of out of it. And now my soul is back. You did it with kindness. And the last two words is what I want to draw our attention to. Rabbah, great, is emunatecha, your faith. And I heard from my father, my late father. What do you mean great is your faith? Thank you, God, for waking up in the morning. Thank you, God, for giving me my soul back. Great is my faith. In Hebrew, I would say, Rabbah emunati, great is my faith. I have such faith in you. I'm so grateful to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I believe in you. I'm grateful to you. What do you mean? You, you are faith. What, God has faith? It's ridiculous. What, how do you talk about God having faith? Human beings have faith. It's a good question, right, Rabbi Wilds? What do you Amazing. think? Amazing. Every morning. morning. Yep. Every morning. Did, you ever, did it ever occur to you? God, Yashikoach, you're amazing. You have faith. Wow. Wow, God. <laughs> Pat on the back. Good to go. What are we doing? It makes no sense. And my father said, you know what we say every morning? Thank you, God, for giving me back my soul. Because great is your faith in me. Rabbah emunatecha, you have faith. In me, you know why you gave me back my soul this morning? Because you have faith in me that I could do something meaningful today. Because you had faith in me that when JJ is going to wake up, he's not going to just futz around, but he's going to do something important, something meaningful. 
He's going to walk an old lady across the street today. He's going to do something. He's going to give, he's going to put a dollar into a charity box. He's going to say a prayer. He's going to study a piece of Torah. He's going to go to the soup kitchen and feed the homeless. God has faith in us. And this brings me back to Rabbi Emden before. We have challenges. We all have challenges. Some of us have health challenges, family challenges, professional challenges, economic challenges. Many of your audience has relationship challenges. My God, I'm trying to get married. I'm single and I'm 20 and I'm 22 and I'm 24 and I'm 26 and I'm up to guy number 19 and 24 and I'm now 36. And, 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 I, and I'm, I really want to get married and I don't know what. I, and, and you know, you get, you get ground down. You wake up the next morning and you say to God, thank you for giving me my soul today. Because Rabbah Emunatecha, you have faith that I could put one foot in front of another. You have faith in me that this day is going to be meaningful and that my life will be meaningful. Otherwise, why'd you give me back my soul? What for? We're here for a reason in this earth and in this world. And to me, this is so empowering. Rabbi Wilds, I have to tell you, it's so empowering. God has faith in me. Otherwise, why did I wake up? But it's automatic that I had to wake up. Where does it say I had to wake up? God gave me a gift because God believes in me. And when God believes in me, that gives me strength. What a beautiful, beautiful message. Thank you. And it could not come to a, <clears throat> it cannot be heard by a more um, receptive audience and generation because we, we so often doubt ourselves. Um, you know, I, and I include myself, I don't, when I say our generation, but we're just constantly second guessing. Nice yeah. to, nice Even to know my that. generation, not just your generation. <laughs> We're in different generations, you know. I'm a, I'm an old old guy already. <laughs> um, yeah, I I never had the chance. Um, my first year at Yeshiva University was the last year that Rav Soloveitchik of blessed memory Zechatzak taught, and I was nowhere near being able to get into his classroom. Um, um, and all of my teachers, including you, Rabbi, have been his students. Um, what is it about the Rav? that you find so compelling, that you've devoted so much of your scholarship to. Uh, I remember just one of the many books you've written and articles you've authored. You were writing at the time when you were the rabbi of the Jewish center, you were writing um, uh, his Torah on keynote, on the lamentations that we say on Tisha B'Av. And, uh, you know, it's it's a mainstay throughout the world that, that people buy and use. And it's, I see some of it's been incorporated into the Koran and, you know, um, what is it um, about the Rav that was so compelling to you? And if there are any personal experiences you want to share? Yeah. Yeah. So Rabbi Joseph D. Soloveitchik was uh, one of the greatest Jews who lived in the 20th century. He was born in Europe, uh, went to uh, University of Berlin, got a PhD in philosophy, came to the United States and revolutionized uh, Jewish life in America. One of the great uh, rabbis and uh, communal leaders. So it started with a story when I was five years old. 
my father, as I mentioned before, uh, was a uh, 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 strong-willed uh, individual. And uh, he went to Yeshiva College. He graduated in 1938, and then he went to, to rabbinical school at Yeshiva University, where, where you went, the Rabbi Isaac O'Connor Theological Seminary. And he studied with Rabbi Moshe Soloveitchik, who was the father of Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik. The end of 1940, beginning of 1941, uh, Dr. Bernard Revel, who was the president of the yeshiva, and Rabbi Moshe Soloveitchik died within two months of one another, and the whole place just fell apart. And there were a number of guys uh, who uh, were studying for rabbinical admission who just gave up. They thought the institution was finished. American orthodoxy uh, was pretty much passe. Uh, but my father hung in there, and when Rabbi Joseph E. Soloveitchik uh, became uh, the head of the uh, yeshiva, took over for his father, my father was the first one in to get rabbinic ordination from Rabbi Joseph P. Soloveitchik. My father had a very warm relationship with Rabbi Joseph P. Soloveitchik because he was the first one. Rabbi Joseph P. Soloveitchik gave more rabbinic ordinations to anyone else in the totality of Jewish history. He is, his name is signed. He signed his name on over 2,000. Uh, rabbinic ordination certificates. My father wow. was the first one, which is the background for my story. I did not um, know that. That's incredible. It is. It's a matter of great pride in our family. Um, when I was growing up as a little boy, my parents lived in the Bronx in New York, and we lived about uh, 200 feet from the uh, main entrance of Montefiore Hospital. Uh, which is a very prominent, famous, even until today, very prominent uh, hospital in, in, in Northwest Bronx. And uh, my parents used to go visit people living in the hospital when I was growing up. We had people in our house all the time. We used to stop by, come for Shabbat and visit relatives. I remember vividly, I ran like it was yesterday, I was five years old. And uh, my father went to visit someone in the hospital and he took me along. And I remember I don't know how many uh, memories uh, you have or your audience has of when they were little. You know, we, what did the world look like when you were like two feet high? You know, you know when, you, when you walk into a room, you looked under the table straight. You, was, you were under the table. I remember as a little boy, and we're walking into the hospital, and then facing me and facing us comes a tall man surrounded by three or four people, adults. And we're getting closer. My father turns to me. That's Rabbi Soloveitchik. He says to me, that's Rabbi Soloveitchik. You just went blank, Rabbi Wilds. Now you're back. Okay. Yeah, just keep speaking, Rabbi. Unfortunately, yeah, just keep keep speaking. Are you okay? Everyone good? Can hear you. I'm worried about yeah, you. Yeah, okay. we're good. It's an issue my phone, yeah. Okay. My father leans down. Leans, I remember. I was like, yeah, I'm... I'm Generally, not a tall guy. Even in my adulthood, I was wasn't a tall guy. I was, a, and when I was five, I was like tiny. My father leans. That's Rabbi Soloveitchik. So we walk closer, and it was Rabbi Soloveitchik. He was like ten feet. He was he was a tall, thin, very formidable right. guy. Right. And uh, my father says uh, to Rabbi, oh, "Oh, Rabbi Schechter. You know, he knew he was right away, and. Uh, he introduces me to Rabbi Soloveitchik. Rabbi Soloveitchik bends down and gives me a pat on my cheek like this. And one of the men standing next to him bends down and says to me, don't wash your face for a week. 
That's what he says to me. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh my God, this man must be very important. Because all I know is every single night, my mother would say to me, did you wash your face? I had to wash my face every night. And here's an adult telling me that I'm off for a week. Don't wash your face for a week because you don't want to wash off that caress. And from then on, I knew that this man was very important. And over the years, I began to appreciate two things. Number one, I appreciated his incredible intellect, his genius. But I had the privilege of living in Boston. I lived in Boston when I was a graduate student. I lived in Boston for eight years before I went back to Boston when I was older. From 1973 to 1981, I lived in the Boston area. And I got to see Rabbi Soloveitchik up close. And I got to see a human being. I got to see someone who smiled, who was kind. In New York, he was tense and he was tough. And it was hard to get close to him. In Boston, he was relaxed. And I would ask him questions and he would talk to me. And he was very sweet and he had a twinkle in his eye. And he taught me so many lessons. I used to go ask him my rabbinic questions. I was a rabbi in a small community. You mentioned Sharon, Massachusetts. And I would say, Rebbe, I would see him after the Talmud class he gave on Sunday morning that I attended. And I'd say, Rebbe, somebody asked me, what do I do? And he would turn to me and he'd say, no, Rabbi Shechda, what do you think? What do you think? <laughs> I would say, Rebbe, I know what I think. I want to know what the Rebbe thinks. I always talk to him in the third person. <laughs> I never said you to him. So he said, no, 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 no. What do you think? And I would tell him what I thought. And sometimes he would say, all right, all right, all right, good, good, good. And sometimes he would say, no, 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 no. And then he would correct me. And then I realized after the third time, what a lesson. What a lesson. This man cares about what I think. I'm like a pisher nobody. I'm a, I'm a 26-year-old nothing. And before he answers me, he says, no, what do you think? You know how empowering that is for a young kid? What do you think? Wow. That's amazing. Wow. So we're mentored. I, I, I try to do that when I mentor my students and my rabbis. You can't overpower as a mentor. You need to make room. You need to make room for your student. You need to make room. Harold Bloom was a professor, a university professor at Yale who died not very long ago, wrote a book called The Anxiety of Influence. And I have another minute, so I'm going to wrap up. He wrote a book called The Anxiety of Influence. It's about how does a poet learn to develop their own voice as a poet when they're a student of another poet who's so great, whose voice they internalize. Mm -hmm. And then where are you going to crawl out from under that voice and create your own voice? The anxiety of influence. Influence is great, but influence could be challenging. Where am I? I mentioned that earlier in the context of my own father. The anxiety of influence. And we need to create space, we mentors, to create space for our students and those who we try to help. Not to just take everything from us and we don't impose everything on them. We give space for them. That was such a lesson that I learned from Rabbi Soloveitchik, besides the Torah, besides the genius, besides the fact that he lived in these two worlds, besides the fact that he founded together with his wife, one of the earliest day schools in America, besides, 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 it was his humanity, it was his kindness, and it was his pedagogical skill and wisdom. And I learned an enormous amount from him. 
Wow. Well, you've internalized many of the Rav's teachings and that one in particular, Rabbi, because whenever, I mean, I get the biggest thrill in the world. Every so often you call me and you have a question for me. And somehow I feel, because I'm the pisher here, I feel like, what, I'm going to give an answer to Rabbi Shachter that he doesn't already know. I'm going to give some kind of perspective. He really thinks that I can provide something yeah. novel. And I can't even tell you what it, yeah. what it does for me. Yeah. And, 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 and that's why many of us, I don't consider myself so that, that young, but some of the younger rabbis, I'm, I'm part of the older. Yeah, uh, yeah. Now in Yerche But that's one of the reasons so many rabbis come flocking to you. A, your scholarship, your erudition, but B, your incredible anivut. Uh, humility, because I think that's where it comes from, to know and to see that, you know, Ezer Hachem, Halomi Nikola Adam, that a person, yeah, I mean, Rabbi, there there are so many more things I'd love to talk to you about, uh, but I know I can't take more of your time. I do want to say this before we go, um, how much nachas I get from being able to, you know, when like you're a kid and you get like a toy and you're so excited about the toy and you want to share it with a friend, like, I'm sorry to put this You've been giving so many analogies as a, as a kid, but like to have had this achut all, all these years of, of your wisdom, your scholarship, your mentorship, and your love and guidance, and to be able to share that with my students. I mean, I'll just share also one quick, you once came, you spoke a number of times at MGE when you were the rabbi at the Jewish Center, but when you would step in there, I would it'd be like the biggest, it would, it'd be such a covet for me that I have something to do with you. And I just really want to, express my gratitude and thank you um, for your time again and your constant guidance and encouragement. And I, I, there are very few people I can say this about that. I, it's not just that you invited us in and you kept us going, but you know, this is hard and there is a grind to everything we do in the rabbinate. And there certainly is with my fundraising and everything else I have to do, but you just keep me going. And I just publicly want to express my love and my gratitude to you, Rabbi. Thank you so, so much. It's my pleasure. It's really my pleasure and my honor. And uh, I call you not just to make you feel good. I call you because I do learn from you and I continue to learn from you. And I thank you. Thank you so much for your time. And maybe we'll do another one. We'll get to the other 10 questions I didn't even get to. Okay. <laughs> Count me in. I'm always here. Anything I can do together with Blee you. Blee Nadar. Blee you got This is amazing. You, you thank you. You got to go uphill so. from me. Malin Bakodesh. I know. You got other. No, we're other done. People to we're talk. done. We finished the, the rabbi. It was October <laughs> of transcendence. We started with Rabbi Katz. We went to Rabbi Miller. Rabbi Schachter. We're like, we're here. We're just going to okay. go back to businessmen and celebrities and silly silly people now and yeah. very important people who make great contributions to to their own lives and to jewish life thank you so much i wish you well mark yeah. thank you all the best Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, thank you so much take care rabbi you. we hope you enjoyed this episode of the wilds cast subscribe to our show on spotify apple podcasts google play or your favorite podcast app If you haven't already, please leave us a review in the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do it, it helps others discover the show. Music from today's episode comes courtesy of Yosef Wiles. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, please visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us.